The Whistler Podcast, candid conversations about everything Whistler, with host Bear Jack Cronton. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode five of the Whistler Podcast. Thanks for joining us. I'm Mayor Jack Crompton. I would like to first acknowledge, as we always do, that we live, work, and play on the traditional territories of the Leelwatt Nation and the Squamish Nation. I also want to thank Mountain FM for hosting us here in this glass case of uh, beauty in the heart of the village at their studio. Uh, it's, it's nice to be able to come in here and sit down and have uh, interesting conversations rather than having to think through how we actually put on a podcast every week. So grateful to them for hosting us here. Today, we are pleased, I am pleased to have Carly Price with us. Carly started at the RMOW in 2018 as the Director of Finance. The Director of Finance acts as the Chief Financial Officer for the RMOW and is responsible for directing and overseeing the municipal financial operations, including accounting, treasury services, fiscal planning, financial processes and reporting, asset management, procurement, I'm getting tired, Carly, <laughs> uh, procurement, revenue, and customer service. That is a tremendous amount of work. Welcome. Uh, what are all those things? Right. Well, thanks for having me, first of all. <laughs> and that, that lengthy list, these are actually all activities related to the money flows in the community. So all the folks in town pay, pay taxes either through rent or through their direct property tax bill. And it's our responsibility as members of the finance team at the RMOW to dispatch that money correctly and in the way that the community wants. So there's a lot involved in that, which is the list that you just noted, but it's, it's pretty simple at its core. Okay. Um, so Whistler, how did you find yourself here? Why Whistler and not somewhere else? So I grew up in Calgary and came to UBC for my undergraduate degree, which is how I discovered Whistler. And I distinctly remember the first time I came up and taking what was then the wizard chair, thinking that was the top of the mountain, carrying on up the solar coaster, thinking that was the top, and just being amazed by the size and scale of what had been built here. So I stuck around for those four years, went away, built a career, and ultimately came back in 2018. Well, I look forward to uh, talking in the future of, or at the end of this uh, podcast today about the budget process and a little bit about what brings you here. But before we do that, uh, one thing that's close to your, uh, uh, well, is in the middle of your uh, department is the Community Enrichment Program grants, which we had our report backs from them in, last night at council. And I want to read out the community groups who uh, received uh, finances from the municipality, but then also just acknowledge the amount of work they do, because it's just incredible what uh, the community groups in this place deliver for our community. So, AWARE, um, Whistler Naturalists, Community Foundation of Whistler, Ecola Passerelle, House Sound Women's Center, Sea uh, to Sky Community Services, Whistler Community Services, Whistler Learning Center, Whistler Mature Action Committee, Whistler Waldorf Society, Zero Ceiling, BC Luge, Whistler Adaptive Sports, Whistler Black Home Freestyle Club, Whistler Gymnastics Club, Whistler Mountain Ski Club, Whistler Nordic Ski Club, Whistler Sailing Association, Whistler Sea Wheel Swing, Swim Club, Whistler Skating Club, Whistler Sport Legacies, Whistler Tennis Association, Whistler Youth Soccer, Wh the Point Artist Run Studio, Whistler Singers, 
Whistler Valley Quilters Guild, Whistler Writing Society, Whistler Secondary School Scholarships. It's a long Amazing. list. Yeah. And the work they do is just critical in building community. Well, and it's so broad. Think of the, the quilters and the swim club and the gymnastics. They're all making their mark in a different way. But I think it's, I think it's impressive what they do and, mm. and the number of people they reach in the community. Yeah. Yeah, quilters is my favorite one. Yes. I'm always struck. Are you a they, quilter, they, Jack? They used to only apply for like $250 each time, and we always sort of thought, isn't that quaint? More they, quilts. They're way up now, $1,000. Imagine oh. the kind of quilts they can pull off with $1,000. So um, in other news, we're getting into the winter. This will be your first winter living in Whistler. Is that I fair? I was here for nine months when my husband was overseas. He served in the military for 11 years, so I did spend some time. Uh, but this is my first stint as a full-time permanent resident, so it's very exciting. So, did all of the the lights going up on trees shock you a bit, or was that? I've seen expected? I've seen I've seen the village lit up for the holidays, and it's one okay. of my my favorite parts. But being in it and seeing actually the effort that goes into hanging, there were something like three hundred and fifty thousand bulbs. Yeah, in the village, does that sound right? Yeah, it's it's, it's incredible. They start going up, you know. A month and a half after they all come right, down, right. it's like a constant uh, a labor of love for our community, t- putting all those bulbs up. But there's a yeah, three hundred and fifty thousand bulbs in total, and around seven thousand bulbs on each tree. It's pretty it's incredible. Crazy. Yeah. And watching the snow zone over by Olympic Plaza, I don't know if anyone's been there, but but watching it grow at the early part of the the season was was pretty cool too. Yeah. It, it skating uh, open daily. People can get out and do that. Family apres is also fun. When Whistler turns on, it really turns on. And then all of a sudden, I think today is the day when the whole world shows up, and all of a sudden we're in the full swing of winter season, which yes. is exciting. So, yeah, busy time now. You are listening to the Whistler podcast, candid conversations on current events, local government, and everything Whistler. Okay. So that's what's happening in town, and um, thank you for going through that with us. Tell me about your previous career. I find this transition so interesting. We met when you were um, in your previous career. That's right, yeah. What was your previous career? Before you were running the finances for the OMW, what were you doing? So I actually spent 17 years in investment management, so analyzing huge public companies as potentials for investment, and then transitioned in 2012 to private equity. So I was working with early stage venture scale companies, managing and helping them to understand their finances. So every business can be viewed through the lens of numbers and oftentimes working with those early founders who tend to be technical and tend to be visionary to be able to speak that language and to be able to plan, make their plans and really understand their companies from a pure, pure financial viewpoint can be really, really helpful. So these are companies who did everything from consumer products to technology. You yourself know quite a bit about running small, technologically-based companies. And then (coughs) through that, got to know more about how organizations incorporate this type of work into their day-to-day operations. So it was at a time that I came to the, the municipality. I was working in Seattle. My husband had gotten a job up here. So it was the perfect opportunity for me to take my skill set and then apply it in a community that I, that I loved in a role that I necessarily hadn't done specifically before, but had the skill set to, to really dig my mm-hmm. teeth into. What's a venture stage company? It's a startup. 
Okay. So, uh-huh. and so you would be investing venture capital exactly. in a startup that would come and pitch their company to you yes. and you would decide whether the fund that you were representing yes. would invest or not. And also working with companies that I may not have invested in directly, but needed the sort of help either in an advisory capacity, a board capacity, or I worked as a contract CFO as well. So a, a four-hire part-time CFO in companies that aren't yet big enough to support a full-time role can be hmm. very valuable as well. Yeah. yeah. And so would when your fund would invest, would you then become an advisor or sit on a, have a board seat as part of that sometimes investment? Sometimes yes, yes. But sometimes no. Sometimes no. Okay. Sometimes and no. that's part of the negotiation on yeah, whether there's investment Yeah, and it's part of the needs of the company as well. So one mistake that investors can make is always wanting to get their fingers in the pie and there can be too many of those. And oftentimes where there's a strong founding team, it can be problematic if you get too many outside people involved because as an advisor, as a board member, you're not sufficiently up to speed to be making operational decisions. Yeah. So it's important to let the executors execute, let the advisors advise, and know which of those two camps you live in. Hmm. Do you miss it? Sometimes. What do you miss about it? The energy. So oftentimes startup founders are young, they're ambitious, they're hungry. They're, you get all that, of course, in municipal finance, but the game is slower. We iterate less slowly at the municipal level by design yeah. compared to private industry. There are ups and downs, pluses and minuses to both, but I miss the excitement that comes from a founder making their first sale or hitting 1 million ARR for the first time. Yeah. It's really interesting and it really is the engine of the economy. So being part of that was was a lot of fun and I do miss it. Having said that, municipal finance affects entire communities yeah. in a way that no single product can. And And having that platform and having the ability to reach into the community in that way is also really, really cool. Last question about your previous sure. career. Um, is Seattle, I mean, I know Seattle from the perspective of Amazon or Microsoft is this m- place for massive corporations. Uh, is it also a home in the way you'd think about San Francisco for venture stage companies yeah. starting out? It is. It's not. So the Bay Area is obviously the biggest startup hub in the entire country of America. But you see these regional hubs, and I actually got my start in private equity in Austin, Texas, Hmm. and you'll see these regional hubs that can be very valuable and very active, but very specialist. So in Austin, it was consumer products were the biggest startup category because of Whole Foods. Yeah. Right? In Seattle, it was enterprise software because of Microsoft. Yeah. And increasingly, it's cloud AI and machine learning because of Amazon. So even though the Bay is sort of the heart of the startup community in the States, there are such interesting pockets of specialist startup capital and talent that every region has its own sort of area. It's an interesting point that those smaller companies really gravitate towards where the larger companies are, mm-hmm. are, are doing that work and they become service companies, but then also um, you know, innovation hubs. And I think that as I've thought of our small software company in in Whistler, one of the reasons that Whistler's a fit is because it's our company is focused on tourism, and 
it's a conversation I've had with a lot of people thinking of, of, of startups in Whistler that this is a great place for a tourism startup. It's a difficult place to do other things because the focus of this community is on delivering a world-class tourism experience. So you just don't have the same supports that you would have in Austin around what was being delivered in Austin or, or San Francisco, Seattle, Vancouver, sure. other places that are focused in other it, directions. And I think when you when you think about the companies that have started up here and are doing really well, like prior snowboards, um, powder sock, what are you, the guys with the yeah, goggle yeah. covers? Yeah. It, even though there's not the infrastructure to really push that category of company forward, there's such deep talent and understanding of those markets. So how to build a good snowboard or yeah. where, what's the product that no one thought they needed that when you put it on your goggles, it's just the coolest yeah. thing and you can sell totally. it all over the world. This is the type of expertise that does exist in communities like Whistler and can move forward even without that infrastructure and support and allow people to to create products for the for the world that are that are different and unique. Yeah, and the market is here to test. Correct. Which is a which is a big which deal. Excellent. Okay. So moving on to your new role, what's been the biggest change for you and what's been the steepest learning curve as a director of finance? Yeah. Definitely the accounting, which sounds strange because accounting like math is the same, but because public sector entities are nonprofit by design. So what that means is that every year our revenues and our expenditures have to perfectly match. This is a fundamental difference versus the private sector. So we have reserve accounting in the public sphere that doesn't exist in private sector. We assign uh, expenses to projects and operations, which doesn't really exist in the private sector where things tend to just be expensed in year. We also have asset management planning that extends oftentimes over decades, which you would never see in the private sector. So I would say just the approach to how we account for cash flows and how we have to think about the lifespan of that cash is very different mm -hmm. and took a while to sort of get used to. Yeah. And you've made changes very early in your time. You've moved the budgeting process used to take until early April, May yeah. um, before we would actually release our budget uh, and, and be in, or I guess, complete the budget. And you've moved that whole process into the prior year so that we are going into 2020 with a confirmed 2020 budget. Mm -hmm. What was that process like? Why did you do it? Yeah. So to be clear, this was a change that had been contemplated for years. It's tricky because so much of what you plan for the coming year requires information about what's happening currently. So if you start that process earlier, you're sort of missing. So for example, we started in August of this year. You're only eight months through the year. So you don't really know where your starting point is going to be in December. So that's one challenge. You also don't know what the rest of the region is doing as far as tax increases, for example, and you do sort of want to be in line with your neighbors. So it was a change that makes sense for all the reasons you pointed out, but that is difficult for other reasons. We were able to succeed for a 2020 budget because so many managers, department leads had been thinking about it for a long time. I had the opportunity in coming in new and already introducing a, an element of change that it could be something that, that I moved over the finish line. And even though the, those who had come before me had long thought about it and had long planned for it. Mm -hmm. You did such a great job we, during the budget process of explaining taxes. I think we... Um, 
we focus on the percent tax increase, and that becomes all that we put our minds to and all that we talk about. But there's so much more depth around what taxation is, how the municipality is funded. And I thought that your slides were great, but your explanation of, you know, how is a municipality funded and what is mm-hmm. uh, taxation yeah. I th- would be helpful, I think. And I'd I, like to And I will, I will confess that for the first 15 years that I owned real property, I did not understand municipal taxes yeah, yeah, yeah. at all. It's a bill that most people, I think, get and just pay without even looking at it. So the simple fact that, what is it, 42% of your tax bill that as a Whistler homeowner you receive goes to provincial entities. Mm-hmm. Didn't know that. School district, regional school district, district hospital, yeah. BCA. So, so really understand. It's a huge. It's probably the biggest bill that most people in this town would receive in a year. And just understanding what the pieces of it are, and that that headline number, that two point eight, only applies to a small portion of the total amount of the bill. Yeah. And further, that the two point eight percent only applies to you if your house appreciates exactly in line with the community. It's it's a really dynamic and complicated document that is got some big numbers on it but also achieves a lot in the community yeah so what does a two percent tax 2.8 percent we are we're proposing or mm-hmm. we've actually passed we passed a 2.8 percent tax increase this year what does that number 2.8 percent mean yeah so the 2.8 percent applies to general municipal tax which is again a small portion of the total bill you'll receive and the 2.8 percent applies only if your property appreciates in line with the community as a whole so for example the bc assessment numbers have come out and for whistler single family residential units this year were assessed in a range of zero to plus 15 percent we'll have specific numbers when the individual assessments go out but if your home for example went down in value according to bc assessment in 2019 you will pay substantially less than the 2.8 percent increase your taxes might actually go down and that speaks to the way we divide up the total required tax requisition among property owners in this community Mm -hmm. so if we taxed a hundred dollars for the whole municipality last year Mm -hmm. a two point eight percent tax increase means that we will tax a hundred dollars to a hundred and two dollars and eighty cents and eighty cents thank you wow see my math is terrific and if you and i were the only property owners and your house went up in value and my house went down in value i would pay less so if we both paid 50 last year yeah you would probably pay 55 and i'd pay 47 80 this year yeah so there's a lot of different factors that that exist between the announced 2.8 percent and what my personal property tax bill ultimately looks like. I have a friend who's a city councilor in Vancouver, and they have a proposed 7% tax increase this year. Uh, And there's a lot of conversation about what that is. And uh, did I, her name's Christine Boyle. She's a city councilor Mm -hmm. in in the city of Vancouver. And she released a Twitter thread where she went through what does that actually mean in real dollars? Mm -hmm. And that's also an interesting conversation. We talk about a 7% tax increase in Vancouver. That sounds like a tremendous amount. She was saying it's $220, which is a lot of money. But for the services that we receive, I think, as a, as a community, r- snow clearing, roads, water, sewer, mm-hmm. um, that, that percentage increase uh, when spoken of in real dollars often contextualizes it for me and makes me think, okay, 
am I willing to pay an additional $75 this year for the services that I'm receiving? And generally my answer to that question is yes. Mm -hmm. But, um, it's funny. I, I don't. Do you know why we only talk about it in terms of percent tax increase? No it's idea. It eh? sounds so strange. Yeah. It's very strange to me. Mm. Um, and I think it might come back to this idea of the the value change, and that the two point eight percent is the one piece that we all share in common. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are reserves? Ah, reserves. My favorite topic. So reserves are the pools of money that we necessarily set aside as a community to to replace repair and maintain our physical assets so obviously there's a lot of assets in the community everything from meadow park sports center to municipal hall to the library we have to ensure that the people who use those assets today will be able to fund their ultimate replacement down the road so it's a meaningful amount of money and there's a tremendous amount of planning that has to go into those reserves and ensuring that they're the right amount with be- without being too large to care for all those physical things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so savings for future Yeah, it's like a retirement savings account almost. Okay, great. Uh, anything else that you think I should know, we should know about our municipal budget uh, and just how the municipality spends and money in in this town. Yeah, we always start when we construct the budget with what does the community expect? And we talk often in the budget process about service levels. So service levels include things like how often do we pick up garbage in the village? How often do we do snow clearing? How many instructors do we have on staff at Meadow Park? And, And it really has to come up from the community as to what they expect us to do for them. From that basis, we can start to calculate how much that service delivery costs. And that service delivery cost does unfortunately go up every year. So it is normal to expect some amount of tax increase. We do everything we can, including looking for areas within the budget where we might be able to drive costs lower and deliver that expected service in the most efficient possible way. So rather than thinking about taxes as an expense item, as you point out, it's important to think of all the great stuff you get for that, the trash pickup, the snow clearing, the lifeguards, the people in accounting who ensure that the asphalt pourers get paid on time. There's a lot of work that mm-hmm. happens in this community and taxes pay for a lot of it. Yeah. Yeah. We've been doing, I'm really excited about the work that you're doing and that the municipality is doing around asset, long-term mm-hmm. asset management. The idea that we are paying attention to replacement costs of what we own and how we should save for those and how we should fund them when those come up and the work that's being done in our community about understanding the infrastructure we have so that we can make those informed decisions is exciting work and I didn't realize it's 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 relatively innovative and mm-hmm. new work in the municipal context that this isn't something that municipalities have done in the past as you see you know stories across the country of bridges falling apart right. and stuff like that, that this sort of long-term asset management planning that work that you're doing is going to allow us to make better informed decisions about how we save now to invest later, which is just so interesting. Very exciting. Yeah. 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 And it's interesting to note that, that part of the reason why it's so innovative now is that we didn't, the PSAP didn't require accounting for assets until 2009. Wow. Which is crazy. Yeah. So if, if, Anyone who worked in municipal finance before that point had no, aside from depreciation, had no sense of what the assets in their community were worth. And reserves, the reserves game at that point was much more 
guesswork. Now that we have a picture of assets, we've been able to build on that as a municipal finance community and start to think about long-term replacement values in different ways and start to use data to drive those decisions in a much more comprehensive and understandable way. Yeah. So it really started with the accounting for assets in 2009, which was obviously an enormous project for communities all across the country. And and we will continue to build on that in the coming years. And there's some really innovative work going on right now. What's PSAB? Oh, the Public Sector Accounting Board. Okay. So they tell us how to account they for stuff. They tell you how to account yeah. for stuff. Um, Carly, where, secret spots, where do you like to ski? Where do you like to, where, if you're going to get a glass of wine or if you're going to go for a walk, tell us a secret. I really like Riverside Trail. It's not secret. It's um, your secret. I mean, uh, not everybody knows where yeah, Riverside Trail is. I, I really like it down there. I think it's beautiful. I love the fact that you're walking right along the river and that river is, is ferocious. So it's a real reminder that you're in nature. It's hard yeah. to not feel like you're in nature in Whistler, but I really, really like that trail. And it's it's easy enough. A lot of the stuff around here can be challenging, but that's true. I'm a that, bit clumsy. That's, so. that's a good spot. I, I don't think you should uh, understate that. I think you yeah. should have said Riverside Trail. Riverside Trail it's is my jam. It's a terrific secret. It's your jam. Riverside trail is Carly Price's jam. Uh, thank you. That was fascinating. I think your your previous work is so interesting, and I think the work that you're doing right now is so interesting. And thank you on behalf of our community for paying attention to the dollars and cents and 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 how we uh, deliver services and and manage the assets we have. It's it's important work, and yeah. I'm grateful for it. We're grateful for it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Uh, so you have been listening to the Whistler podcast. Another thank you to Mountain FM for hosting us here in the Whistler studio. Thanks for listening. I'm Jack Crompton. Go get some snow. I will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Whistler podcast. Candid conversations about everything Whistler. To find out more about the Whistler podcast, visit whistler.ca slash Whistler podcast.